This week on the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. A crushing I'm Vader. Darth Vader. <laughs> Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a podcast focused on tactics and competitive play for Star Wars Legion. Hosted by Kyle Dornboss, Michael Barry, and David Zelenka, with Jay Shalansky, the man behind the glass. Welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Mike, and I'm here along with Kyle and David and two very special guests. We've got Luke Eddy and Alex Davey here from Fantasy Flight Games. How's everybody doing today? Doing great. Happy to be here. Yeah, not too shabby. David, Kyle, you there? Oh, we're here. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're waiting yeah. with bated breath. We are. For a second there, I was like, oh, man, is it just Alex, Luke, and Mike today? Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, so we have a interview lined up with you guys to talk about the points rebalancing you guys announced about a week ago now. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about that today. Um, I think we've got some cool new operatives to talk about, too. Um, and maybe we'll discuss some other stuff. Um, so I guess let's just jump into some questions. Kyle, you want to start us off? Sure. So, um, do you, so <laughs> it's been a crazy week in Legion. Um, yeah. We, how, how many articles were last week? <laughs> I think it was three, if not four. Yeah. And a stream and know. a stream. Yeah. Exciting times. Um, so we are not hurting for things to talk about, but, uh, what we would love to hear your guys thoughts on is the points for balance and errata. Um, do you want to just talk about that a little bit, what that is? Um, and what folks can expect. Yeah, I'll, I'll field that um, since I, I wrote the little overview that you can find online. Um, essentially, it is us stepping in after about a year or so of competitive play, taking a peek at what is successful, uh, what's seeing table time uh, and competitive success, and what is languishing a little bit in both competitive and casual play. And it's a chance for us to take all of the uh, cool units and, and minis and strategies that we'd like to see more of and boost them a little bit to get them onto a more competitive footing with some of the units that have proven to be effective. And there's a few reasons that we want to do this. Um, the first and foremost is it, it keeps the game fresh. Um, diversity is just good for any game. The more different experiences you can expect when you go out there, the more creativity that you can have with your list building, your play style. We think that that's just going to lead to a more interesting game and a healthier community. Uh, and then just secondly, as a hobby game, sometimes uh, one of the most frustrating things is when there's a really cool mini or you know a character or a unit that you identify with from your own personal fandom. And it just doesn't do that much on the tabletop. It, it sort of ends up collecting dust on your shelf and maybe has a beautiful paint job to boot. So by hopefully broadening the variety of lists uh, and you know units and miniatures that are viable, uh, you know people can have more hobby creativity and get to use all of the minis in their collection as well. So that's the gist of it. Um, how we how we approached it and how we landed on the specific tweaks, I think, uh, is going to be a bit of a, a longer explanation. But as with anything else, it starts with playtesting. Uh, can you talk about that process a little bit? Uh, yeah, I think we can. Um, uh, first of all, I think, um, yeah, Alex absolutely hit the nail on the head that, um, 
we uh, you know, people have a lot invested into these uh, miniatures, whether it's paint jobs or you know they're particular fans of certain characters or units, and uh, you know we we want to see those things played on the um, on the table, uh, you know, competitively and casually. So um, as far as our process went, um, we talked a lot. Um, we looked at uh, what was being fielded in um, tournaments, uh, what we were seeing played the most. Um, because while it's true that there can sometimes sort of be, um, you know, in any sort of meta, whether it's a, a board game or a video game, miniatures game, card game, uh, there can sometimes be a, a bit of groupthink where, you know, a lot of sort of high tier players are being very effective with something. And so everyone sort of follows suits. And, you know, unless someone sort of has some aha moment and really like shakes up the meta with something that was always there all along, um, you know, you just sort of tend to be like, yep, you know, such and such thing is the best. Um, so that can happen. But, um, you know, Legion's been out a long time now. And um, I think we've seen, you know, that um, players have been able to figure out, you know, what are the things that are just a little bit ahead of the curve efficiency wise and a little bit under the curve efficiency wise. Um, so uh, get data from the tournaments was invaluable. Um, but then also uh, we did extensive playtesting. And Alex sort of took the lead on this. Um, we were able to leverage our um, existing pool of testers who test um, just our, our the stuff that we're working on and um, have them do a lot of uh, points testing. And uh, pretty rigorous for quite some time, actually. And uh, we were frequently updating that with various amounts. There were some things we uh, tested, you know, just for the heck of it that didn't go so well. It's like, nope, don't, turns out, don't, don't touch that. That doesn't need to cost more. It's just fine. Or, you know, no, that doesn't really need to cost less. So, um, yeah, we tried out a lot of different things. Um, and uh, in the end, sort of, I, I think we were maybe aiming for fewer things than we did actually um, change points on, but um, we thought this is the first time around and there's, we might as well you know, with all the data we've gathered, really just go ahead and hit everything that we felt like, um, you know, could could use a change. Now, there's some things that, you know, are maybe still uh, in the future we'll see getting a points reduction or some things we might see in the future getting a points increase. Um, but uh, for the most part, we thought this was enough for it once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we wanted to keep it reasonably digestible for a first update. Mm -hmm. Um and we didn't want to go too crazy and change too many things because that can be hard to follow. And when you make a few major changes, that often has a ripple effect on anything, uh, everything else anyway. Yeah. So we, we wanted to have a, a substantial but pretty manageable number of changes. So we went into testing with a pretty good idea of what uh, could use a boost in terms of the meta, uh, in terms of what was and wasn't seeing play. And we had... Um, you know, we had a, a laser targeter on strike teams and, and snipers in particular, just because but they were by far the most ubiquitous uh, unit. Um, yeah, that was really the only thing we were really seriously considering uh, nerfing. Yeah. And then the rest of it was just like, you know, vehicles are struggling a little. They should probably be cheaper. Exactly how many points they should fall was sort of a matter of dialing that in through playtesting. But mm -hmm. We had an idea of what we wanted to change, and we even had sort of a rough draft of what we were going to do. And then we opened it up to our quality assurance testers and basically just kicked it around for a few months mm -hmm. until it was in a place that everyone seemed pretty happy with overall. 
Yeah. Yeah. If we did an interesting thing, actually, I think you made a list of what you'd like to see change. I made a list of what I'd like to see change separately. Mm-hmm. And then we compared notes. And then we asked our testers without telling them what we were thinking, what they would like to see change. Yeah. And then we took all that feedback and then made a list of a lot of different things for them to test. Yeah. We took a stab at some initial things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we tried, a, we tried a number of different changes to the sniper. And we ended up in a completely different place from where we started, which was the addition of a whole new range band, but that's yeah, we that was kind of interesting. Points. Yeah, sometimes yeah. testing and and you know attempting to get something right takes you in some unexpected directions. But I'm I'm pretty happy with what that has in terms of implications for the future uh, design space and um, just being a much more fun unit on the table when it has that limit. It has to get closer. It has to be a little more aggressive to be a, to be effective. It uh, just makes it a more interesting play experience with some counterplay to it. Um, can you talk about range five a little bit? It's uh, you know, you said it opens up design space. It's interesting too that you also utilize this on the FD cannon. Yeah, I mean the FD cannon, we could have dropped it pretty substantially and probably made it into something that would see occasional play. But as a stationary piece, just being able to reach, we knew we didn't want it to have infinite range because it's quite powerful and. Obviously, we ran into that problem with these low-dice sniper attacks. It would be even more exacerbated by, uh, you know, an infinite range unit. But um, range four just wasn't quite threatening enough to have a huge impact. It could be played well. Uh, It was even taken occasionally at higher levels. But it was pretty matchup and terrain and battle card dependent. And it just didn't have quite enough reach. to get into areas from its starting deployment zone that were going to be threatening enough to have a, an impact on, on the whole game. Um, just that little six inch bump by going from range four to range five um, increases its threat range substantially and um, really just makes it a much more interesting, much more viable unit. So we were talking about range five for the snipers for similar reasons. And eventually we just sort of came to the conclusion that well, if we're changing these sniper rifles um, and we're folding that range five stuff into future waves, because we were working on a, a wave of new content at the same time, um, why not take this opportunity to address a unit that we sort of felt like should be a bit longer range from the start and give it a, little, a sort of a new lease on life? Um, range, the difference between, you know, range four and range five in terms of uh you know, design space is pretty profound because there's just not a lot of granularity when you have range one through four and then infinite. Um, yeah, especially when most things start at three. Right, right. So you really only had two numbers to play with there. Is it range three, is it range four, or is it, you know, this table spanning, yeah. <laughs> you know, from downtown yep. shot, buzzer beater shot. Uh and five just gives you a little bit more to play with. It's it's substantially further than most infantry. They can't just move and shoot you, generally speaking, with all their weaponry. Um, but it's not so far away that they're completely out of the fight, able to be hid, hidden in the corner of your deployment zone. It's effectively zone. infinite in some deployments. In some deployments, yeah. And and uh, it, it really does change depending on the battle cards you pick. But it does it tones them down on missions like the Long March. It tones them down on missions like battle lines uh, they can't just shoot all the way across the board anymore mm-hmm. and it just makes them a little bit more um 
interactive as uh, both to play and to play against. Yeah. Well, and Kyle, uh, we were talking about this earlier. You had a, a really interesting point about um, the change to range five on snipers. Do you want to go ahead and mention that? Uh, sure. So I actually think it's possible that this change makes snipers um, safer. Um, certainly they can impact less of the battlefield, but you know the biggest counter to snipers previously was other snipers. Um, and now you know it's possible that they're at a range where they're essentially like unable to shoot each other, but they're just plinking at uh, each other's, you know, each opposing gun line, um, which I think is interesting in so far as it makes, you know, just taking a one or two much more viable than it used to be because at least at like the higher levels of play, if you didn't have three, you just got, you know, your snipers got shredded by their triple snipers. Right. You had to go all in. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. And I think um, it's tough in, it's tough in any game when the best counter to something is more of that same thing. Right. Yeah, that just exacerbates the problem because, you know, our word, our goal, of course, isn't to make snipers non-viable. I don't think we want to push any unit out. No, and this was the, like the least intrusive intrusive change we could do. Of the, the ones we considered, you know, for sure. Exactly, because there were other much more drastic, like adding cumbersome, making the detachments, you know, yeah, adding we a unique a dot to them, yeah. you know. Yeah, but it's interesting. Um, I think... Uh, Alex, there's you who really landed on on range five as a solution, and it's pretty pretty elegant actually because it's it, it only goes in and changes one single mm-hmm. number or icon on them. It doesn't actually change necessarily how you play them in most games. You still aim to shoot through, aim and shoot to get through heavy cover. You know, try to put them in a good spot. You know, you still. One of them. We also tested removing the corner peeking completely. You mm-hmm. know, and um, unfortunately, you know that's become. Um, well, not unfortunately, but it's sort of one of those uh, a bug a bug that's a feature of most where if they can't do that, they really are vulnerable to just being one shotted. Yeah. Um, so you know, removing that as an aspect was too hard of a nerf. So it's interesting how the range five really, in a lot of cases, doesn't actually change how they're played, but it puts them in this uh, place where um, they can have other counters, like you said, and the counter isn't just more snipers. So yeah, we'll see what happens, but I, I hope that we'll still see a few snipers here and there. Um, but my hope is that people will experiment with some of the other special forces units. They won't uh, need to have so much anti-sniper defense because hopefully the overall number of sniper teams will be reduced. And since they do have to get closer, there are operatives and other units that are kind of fast that can that can deal with them. So my hope is that we'll we'll continue to see them in more of a support role, um, but that they won't be automatic three ofs in almost every right. List and then the small points increase, the little points increase helps with that too. Yeah, that helps because they're no longer a super cheap activation either. They're, they're still the pretty issue. affordable, but they're not. Um, you know, they're closer to sort of eweb range or or um, emplacement trooper. Rebel veteran, short trooper mm-hmm. range, so they're not they're not the cheapest activation anymore, and there are a lot of decent options now. So I think I think that they will fade back a little. I think that that is going to be welcome news for a lot of our players. So while we're on the topic of strike teams, um, as I was looking through the changes, I noticed that the saboteur strike team got hit twice: once with the mm. increase to strike teams, and once with the increase to emergency stems. Um, was that? addressing a specific problem with saboteur strike teams or was this just incidental uh both <laughs> yeah okay. I, I mean strike teams are are strong um 
And there was concern, particularly among our playtesters, that if we only increased the sniper, uh, people would just transition to saboteurs, um, just as cheap activations, if nothing else. Uh, the other aspect of that is that by increasing the points on the strike teams, we uh, don't further invalidate scout troopers and commandos because their upgrade costs stay the same. You may be more likely to field a full unit now uh, because you're not paying any tax on the commandos themselves. Um, but the biggest thing was just that um, Triple Saboteurs is a very high skill list, but it is a very, very strong list. It can be very strong and it can be very, very difficult to play against if you don't have a lot of experience with it. So um, it wasn't something that we felt we wanted to be um, super well, prevalent. It didn't need to get any better. It didn't get, it didn't and get any better. And I think with snipers getting their increase to range, and say hypothetically the increase to the sniper rifle, or increase to strike teams had been applied to the rifle instead, you still would have had the strike teams as an extremely cheap unit. Mm -hmm. And just from an efficiency perspective, an activation control, um, they still have that problem. You know, the the... The adjustment to the snipers was twofold. It was the range and it was the um, because of interaction and then the points increase because of just efficiency of, you know, how cheap you're getting that activation for. So we didn't want to, by giving snipers their nerf, uh, sort of exacerbate um, the problem by suddenly, you know, strike teams are... are uh, um, Saboteur strike teams are ubiquitous. Uh, and we actually, um, it's funny, we, I talked to uh, Daniel Lupo at Worlds about um, the, you know, what's sort of the threshold of points increases to um, the uh, strike teams and um, stims uh, while still keeping the strike teams, the saboteur strike teams hypothetically viable. And, um, and I also got feedback from our testers as well. And, uh, you know, it's uh, a little more pricey now, um, and you maybe have to rely less on the uh, stims themselves, but uh, it was uh, both of their opinions that it's still viable. Yeah, and that, that's the thing. We're not trying to push anything out, and emergency stims in particular, it was one effective way to run saboteurs. I don't think it is a 100% prerequisite to running them effectively. It, mm -hmm. it was how one particular very effective list was built. Mm -hmm. But the increase to emergency stims has a lot more to do right. with that particular upgrade being a little bit strong, a little stronger than uh, and anticipated and intended. Right, and um, it wasn't because we were trying to apply a nerf, a double nerf to the um, saboteurs. It was right. because we wanted to sort of stealth nerf, you know, uh, or not nerf, you know, nerf is such a negative word, but, you know, sort of like, bring their efficiency slightly down of uh, Luke and Boba, actually. Yeah, and just really it was becoming a, a almost an auto-include for a lot of uh, aggressive... Right, um, not even just them. Commanders. Yeah. Um, and we just felt it could use a bit of a bump. I think it's still a pretty viable upgrade at 12 points. Um, mm. If it buys you another round with Luke or Boba or you know anybody else who can take it yeah well it that's sufficiently expensive yeah. that's quite useful so that was more of a of an emergency stims increase than it was targeted at the uh saboteurs in any in any particular way right 
Well, you know when Luke's gear slot is jokingly referred to as the stem slot that that probably needs. Exactly. Adjustment. Exactly. Yeah, it's that kind of thing that you know gives us some indication. That... No, and the thing is, though, is actually, I mean, I'm really glad that emergency stims uh, exists as yeah, a card. I think it, we card. designed it intentionally to sort of give you some insurance uh, when you're taking those high value, high impact um, targets. It's a way to sort of mitigate um bad luck a little bit you mm -hmm. know a lot of those characters have red dice and red dice are usually great but sometimes they're not you know but it just blanks out and it's just a bad day so i think it's good having a card in the game that if you're willing to spend the points for um sort of gives you it sort of makes some of those more expensive um characters that really jump in the mix and you're expecting to take wounds um stay more uh viable on the other hand it just had to be costed to what is the value of having another activation with one of those units yeah even though the wounds are in most cases temporary uh or, or not temporary but the, the the extension of that character's time on the table is temporary mm -hmm. um without healing shenanigans or med <laughs> or what have you yeah. but generally speaking if you have to use your emergency stems you get one more round well, it turns out one more round with a really strong character in the right place can win you the entire game. Mm -hmm. So eight points was sort of, um, at that price, it was kind of a must take. Right. It was just such a good deal. We felt like a little bump up, maybe you'll consider leaving it off uh, and taking some different upgrade instead or padding out your troopers or, you know, uh, you'll look at it twice instead of just automatically adding it to your character when you drop Luke into your list. And I think that's where we want almost everything to be. We want it something that you have to think about rather than just like, oh, I'm taking this, so uh, therefore I take this. Yeah. Um, so on that kind of design philosophy there, you know, you were talking about stims being a like a must take on a unit. Um, how did you guys kind of, I guess, pick and choose which like upgrades and stuff would be targeted? Like, for instance, force push is also a very auto take. Um, upgrade mm. on some units um how did you land on like nerfing stims as opposed to like something like force push there was a lot of talk about force push <laughs> um you know so i uh i used this analogy when i was talking to um our testers that um you know there are some cards uh, it, uh the analogy is uh like a card game where um you know, in the core set of some LCG, you know, you're going to have cards in there that, you know, when you plot them on a power curve are just way out there. Like, they're so good. Um, but they're sort of, they define what that uh, faction uh, or, you know, um, that color can do. And I think Force Push was one of those for the, the Jedi, the all the the and Sith, the Force users in Legion, that um, like I was okay with it just being good. It sort of defined what those characters can do, and most of the Force users have multiple Force slots, so it wasn't really pushing anything out per mm -hmm. se. Um, so uh, I mean, we could have raised that, but ultimately, I I, I think yeah, we decided not to. Yeah, I think the difference, the, the main difference there is the availability. Stims is available to a huge number of right. characters. Um, and, you know, eventually force powers will be as well. But 
the possession of force powers is kind of built into the cost of any force using right. a miniature. And all of the force powers are really strong. And some of the new ones are quite strong. So we felt like there's going to be enough competition with push um, amongst other force upgrades, especially as different different commanders with different strengths start to emerge. Um, you know, things that, that Dooku, for example, can do and Obi-Wan can do. Well, having master the force, force changes yeah, to how yeah. valuable it is. Yeah, so we just, as with all of these changes, we're trying to do as little as possible. And we felt like force push while a solid card um, isn't quite an auto-include and is so specifically relegated to a handful of units that it's probably fine if it's just well, it's a, a mere, super strong card. Yeah, it's a yeah. near auto-include for those units, but like I I mean I feel like like pushing stuff around. I mean it's strong. Yeah, it's what the Jedi kind strong. of do. You know? strong. But you know, we so we've I, both run Obi-Wan without it, uh, because he can fulfill a much more defensive role. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the Emperor doesn't always take it. Right. Because um, he's not really getting in there. Yeah. I, up as much. I think if you were uh if you were a force using character that just wants to jump into combat and hack stuff up, mm-hmm. that's a great upgrade. And, but and, not every force character is gonna be like a cannonball like Luke and right. Vader are. But even operative Luke can disengage right. with that keyword, so it's less essential for him to have um force push for the defensive capabilities. He can get away with perhaps not taking it. So, you know, there is some cases where something is, um, I'll grant you, somewhat of an auto-include, but, you know, they're the situations where that card sort of helps define what that unit can do. Um, You know, we design certain cards sometimes in mind with them being applied to certain units and being somewhat ubiquitous, and usually try and give those units, you know, sometimes multiple upgrade icons of that type. So it's not like it's crowding out other possible upgrades. Um, and then to Alex's point, you know, uh, you know, we're sort of taking like an all ships rise with the tide approach here. We wanted to lower the cost of as many things, you know, of things rather than raise the cost if we could. And, you know, it was, I think, better to just lower the cost of um, battle meditation and um, reflexes and saber throw rather than raise the cost of push yeah we only raised what three costs total the, yeah. the two different strike teams and emergency yeah, stamps yeah, yeah. We, we tried to pre- be very stingy with uh, anything that was going to get bumped up it had to be it had to really earn it yeah yeah it always feels better when your costs are coming down as opposed to coming up i think from a from a player right. perspective yeah oh absolutely and from a collection perspective if your stuff gets more you know, attractive and valuable within the game, mm-hmm. then your army mm-hmm. is just cooler. If well, stuff starts getting, yeah. you know, worse, then it's, you know, it's a time and effort you've spent on something. Well, it's less of a feel bad, too. Yeah. If you are a player who shows up to a tournament, you're not familiar with this. Yep. You know, you don't find out that, like, oh, your list is invalid. I mean, I don't know, maybe it is, maybe you're taking triple snipers, but. You know, you show up and instead of finding out that like, oh, this list is illegal, it's all cost more, you find out instead like, oh, hey, actually, yeah, I have more points. More points. All right. Yeah, that's, you know, that's not bad. You know? um, so speaking of lists that are going to have more points um, to play with, um, there mm. were quite a few rebel changes kind of in contrast to the Imperial ones. Um, True. Are there any of those that you guys want to kind of talk about specifically, like maybe Jin and Chewie? Um 
or, or anything like that. Yeah. And maybe I guess talk to um, maybe why we saw more changes on the rebel side of things than the empire side of things. <laughs> because they needed more. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, they did. They did need a few more. Um, rebels as a faction have been very viable. Uh, they won yeah. some major events. There's usually a pretty good split of rebel versus Imperial players in the finals. Um, that all feels really good. But when you look at the rebel Alliance as a faction, they have, you know, or they previously had, we felt far fewer viable builds. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely effective rebel well, armies Luke and Leia there. Are so good. Luke and Leia are so good, and they're just sort of head and shoulders above a number of the other options. Right. You basically saw Luke, Leia, and Han in terms of commanders. Although operators. lately, not even Han. Yeah, even Han has, has faded away a little bit. Yeah, Sabine, Sabine in there. Sabine's pretty solid, um, but you know, Jin and Chewie were kind of languishing. We looked at where they were at in the meta. We looked at sort of how they ended up. Uh, performing and in hindsight it was clear that we had sort of overvalued certain abilities like infiltrate and and guardian and and uh, while those are still very strong abilities they didn't quite justify the very high price that those characters were playing were paying and so again in the interest of just keeping the number of lists out there as viable and numerous as possible yeah have a few of the lesser taken commanders and operatives come down in cost that's a that's more of a feels good kind of situation. On the imperial side, they've been really fortunate with their characters, and really just Corset Vader was the only one that people had sort of come to the consensus that well he's probably a little too expensive for what he does. And we we that's a sort of another story too because we took a two prong approach to tackling him. But in terms of that, the empire just had a lot more fundamentally viable units and upgrade cards. But if you do look at the rebel changes, you know a, there's a lot more in number. But you know, three of those changes because are of to yeah, three of those changes are to the ATRTs weapons, which is essentially one change to the ATRT. The airspeeder is kind of all over the place because it shows up in unit cost. It shows up as an errata. And both of its weapons went down. Yeah. So that's, you know, four changes that only really affect one thing. Um, and then... Or five. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so the, there are, you know, more rebel changes in number, but they're actually a pretty comparable number of units affected overall. I think there's yeah, the a things, couple more I mean, rebel it, things. It's pretty, it's pretty even with what the things that had the most drastic changes. Yeah. Because if you look at unit-wise, I mean, it's the same number of units. You've got right. Chewbacca, Jin, and the airspeeder on the strike team. And then uh, for the Imperials, you have the speeder bikes, the ATSD, Darth Vader, and then along with the strike team. The Rebels sort of got a couple other kind of like stealth buffs, if you will, via a discount to the Pathfinder's gun yeah. and to um, some of the ATRT weapons and the, um, the Rebel Veterans heavy weapon there. So... Um, they're not as substantial as the drops to the units themselves, although the ATRT ones are pretty nice. If you were planning on doing, you know, the laser cannon, that's a what a fifteen point drop. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it was um, uh, like Alex says. Uh, you know, the rebels had a few more things. I think that were coming in a little underpowered. But uh, again, it's mostly these upgrades that are smaller tweaks than the unit uh, discounts themselves. So you mentioned uh, the vehicles 
Do you want to talk about those a little bit and just your general process um, with respect to both the vehicles and then also uh, kind of the impact um, exhaust weapons, the trooper-based ones? Yeah, that's a, those are good questions, and, I, and it's all sort of related. Um, that's one of the tricky things about balance in the first place and certainly about rebalancing things. Sure. Um, it's sort of like a, it's almost like an ecology, you know, um, like a biome or something where if you make a little bit of a change to one thing, you're going to start introducing a predator to the environment that wasn't <laughs> around anymore. And, which, uh, which Star Wars biome is this? Is it uh, the desert one? The all... <laughs> Swamp one, the all forest one, or the all city one? The whole planet. It's the it's the Star Wars planet that is comprised purely of numbers. It's the all numbers. Yeah. Planet. Oh my yeah. goodness. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like you know, if we do drop these vehicles, and this is something we started to see in uh, Wave Seven testing. Yeah, actually. a lot of this was informed um, by the testing for the new faction heavies in Wave Seven. Right, because we knew that the the original heavies, the ATST and particularly the airspeeder, but even the ATST was just a little too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, starting with like the occupier tank and the land speeder, we started to see vehicles that were right. a little Those bit closer little to the market, more discounted. Yep, yeah, they're a little cheaper, a little more affordable, a little more viable. Uh, and then Wave Seven rolled around, and we were testing some really heavy vehicles, even heavier than the Occupy and the Landspeeder. Yeah, that are more ATST equivalent, and we just found, you know, we found a more comfortable price point. Yeah, that, there's almost this, at about uh, one seventy. Yeah, and I talked about this a little bit before. How there's this almost sort of like, mm-hmm. and we don't ha- actually have a, a logarithmic scale, but it's almost this sort of thing where this ineffable quality that sort of the the more powerful something is on paper doesn't necessarily equate exactly to um, how many points that thing should cost if, say, like every mm-hmm. ability and attack profile and range and movement and all those had some sort of value attached to them if you added it all up, um, that vehicle is suddenly overpriced because there's this sort of like tax you're paying almost where as you sort of put more uh, into a single unit, uh, you're losing out on, it's an opportunity cost of, other activations or more flexibility, yep. you know, or activation control, um, the ability to score objectives, um, all these little mm-hmm. things that are sort of unquantifiable. So the more like heavy a vehicle is, the more powerful a vehicle is, the more abilities it has, definitely it, it doesn't exactly scale one for one to how much it should cost. Yeah. And so we, we, we found a good price point for the heavies, the the AAT tank. And, and they're the very aggressively costed. Yeah, they're, they're, they're strong and they're they're impactful. So we settled on a good point value for those. And one of the things we started looking for in our playtest was, well, okay, with these heavier armored vehicles more viable and more prevalent, are people reaching for that HH-12 now? Are people going for that ion gun? And the mm. answer was still no. <laughs> you know, the answer was still no, it still costs too much. Yeah. And it's still an exhaust weapon, so it's a little mm-hmm. tricky to use. But what we did find was that between a substantial points drop for vehicles, the introduction of the separatist faction, which means more target for more targets for ion mm-hmm. weaponry, um, and a hefty drop to all of the anti-vehicle exhaust weapons. They're much more of a choice now. They're not more purely efficient than your DLTs or your Z6s. No, they're still, they're they're still, still an still, inefficient choice if you're not fighting vehicles. But a well-placed anti-armor squad or two 
can really turn the tide if you are faced yeah. with some of those armored threats. Or, or a last first with some ion. Absolutely. Really? Yeah, you can really do some activation control there. So I think they're a much more interesting choice now. And I think as we see vehicle lists gain in popularity, and I think we will see speeders a lot more, I think we'll see ATSDs a lot more. I think we'll see ATRTs. Uh, I do think that those value, the value becomes a little bit more um, unquantifiable. And I know that when I'm list building these days, I often will drop a couple of anti-vehicle weapons into my sort of core block just to make sure that I have some sort of answer to <laughs> vehicle threats if they're if those answers are. Yeah, found it's interesting. Elsewhere. So this is something we always kind of wanted from the beginning, or I should say that you wanted, is that mm -hmm. if vehicles are good counters to other vehicles, but if you're not running that, then your best option is core. Some core units with anti-vehicle weapons are a good answer to vehicles. Yeah, and I should actually jump in and point out that um, the HH-12s, the anti-vehicle trooper weapons, were intentionally overcosted from the beginning mm -hmm. uh, because we wanted people to pay a premium for having an answer to that sort of rock, paper, scissors yeah, equation. Yeah, yeah. Troopers shouldn't be able to do absolutely everything at the best price. Right. However, we... Both interesting to be both overcosted vehicles <laughs> and we overcosted the anti vehicle weaponry. <laughs> so, consequentially, you just didn't see any of it. Yeah, yeah. So, we think that these new calibrations, mm -hmm. these, these, you know, expert dial twiddles that we've done with the various point values, yeah. uh, bring that element into the game mm -hmm. in a way that was always intended but never really materialized. Well, and, you know, I can. I remember, you know, first coming on a mm -hmm. project and uh, the core was still not quite wrapped up or yeah. close. And I did a lot of testing for that. And at that point, you know, there's only so many things that exist in the game. You know, we're talking like core set stuff plus wave one, which would have been uh, Leia, Veers, Fleets, Snows, mm -hmm. um, Airspeeder, and the ATSD. Yep, and that so was all kind of tested before. Right, those are all designed to really knew what Legion was. Well, well I, what I was going to say is, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it had not been announced. Yeah, <laughs> hadn't been announced, and we hadn't really, you know, fully grocked how it functioned. Well, I mean, I came in when you had designed most of it. Yeah. Really, it was just minor stuff. But I remember doing a lot of that playtesting, and with so few things, you just you don't not take things, right? Because you're trying to test it all. That's true. And at that point, and you need to when fill your list, list right? And at that point, when you're not saying like. Mm, you know what? Yeah, maybe this airspeeder isn't very efficient. I'm not going to take it. Yeah. You know, it doesn't quite congeal that, oh, it might be overcome. You're not doing that because you're like, oh, I need to test this. And then similarly, because I know the person I'm playtesting with is taking a vehicle, I'm like, well, I need to take these heavy weapons. Right. I, I need to pay whatever they cost because I need to have answers to this. You know, so it's such a small pool and sort of this drive to test everything. You don't quite have that, you know, where there's so many options and you decide not to reach for things. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have a plethora of things you can choose from. You don't really have that sort of um, analysis of choice at that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, that's a little bit how it, it ended up being a little overcosted. But, uh, you know, fortunately, we have this ability now to make some of those adjustments. Uh, and I, so I think I'm probably not the only person that's going to have legitimate difficulty finding my Snowtrooper T7 Ion uh, trooper. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a, there was a funny interaction I saw. Uh, this was on the Discord where uh, someone's reading through the point stages and, changes and they're going, oh, hey, they reduced the cost of the T7 Ion Snowtrooper. Too bad it's only range one to two. I don't know if it's still good. And like <laughs> the next three replies are, oh, no, it's one to three now. Yeah. <laughs> so no, we were aware. We were aware that that, that boy needed some help. 
Yeah. Well, and again, <laughs> that was when, you know, you, you take it because you're testing it. And, um, you know, the, the snowtroopers, I mean, they have a cool ability to move, move, shoot. So the range was an interesting sort of like, oh, it's not quite as big of a problem. But, you know, in all honesty, you know, we were concerned about sort of um, corner peeking tricks, you know, like popping your snowtrooper, you know, out of line of sight blocking terrain, taking a shot of the vehicle, right. popping it back in, that right. kind of At thing. Three. Yeah. At three. And so we got a little nervous and we ended up bringing that range down and making the snowtroopers a really close range unit. But as we went on, the fact that it exhausts and mm-hmm. various things, we already sort of had plenty well, of built-in checks and at balances. That point, at that point, too, we figured out that impact grenades were good. Right. So you were trying to get you were yeah. trying to get in a range one anyway. Mm-hmm. So the range two didn't seem as big of an issue. Um, but uh, no, it, it didn't <laughs> need to be two. So yeah, we we essentially we, like we were saying we uh, got a little shaky. We we overcosted all the anti-vehicle stuff intentionally so the vehicles would be more viable. But we went a little too. Uh, conservative on those values just across the board Mm -hmm. well and it it seems like these changes on both ends are kind of a natural follow-on from like if you look at the anti-vehicle weapons um in the in the clone wars core set they're they're costed much more closely i feel like to yeah they make a lot more sense and i think by the time we started working on the clone wars core set we had um come to the conclusion that a sort of rebalance is going to be necessary Mm -hmm. so um and even if we hadn't, we always focus on making sure that new content is as appropriately costed as possible. Right. That was definitely a, a question that came up amongst our testers when we were working on those was, mm-hmm. you know, you know, should should these heavy weapons be this good? You know, should right. they Since be they're better than right? They're, they're, the these are just better set. than the other mm-hmm. ones. And it's like, listen, we don't need more deaths. Let's. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that's never made any sense to me to. It always makes more sense to me to try to to try to price new things at the level of competitive existing things rather than at the level of some similar thing that nobody takes. Right. Yeah. I was going to also mention because of the the new stuff coming, um, those ion and vehicle weapons have a ton of new prey in the yes. they have a whole faction they can prey on now. Yes. Yes, they do. Yeah, and and not only a new faction, but. Um, I'm going to be slightly cheeky here and say that... Um, oh, are you going to drop something? Well, on? not not only on, Separatists will be fielding droids. Star Wars is a big universe. Oh, so people, people know about R2 and 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and, and so for sure, there's just going to be more targets out there with, with cheaper vehicles, with a whole new droid faction, with more droid units for existing factions. I just think that they're going to be a more viable weapon. And we kind of always knew that that was going to be the case, um, that it would require more targets to really hit its true value. But we were kind of trying to design with that in mind. Shields, man. Shields, that kind of thing. Shoot, and take that eye on the shoot at those droidicas. We're also just really careful with um, effects that shut down your opponent. Like those, right, those yeah. are always no fun to play against. And... They really People, have to be. Um, they have to be approached delicately because they're cool. They're fun to play with, and I think they add an interesting level of strategy to the game. But you never want to be in a situation where, like, the go-to thing is to just stop your opponent from right. playing. Yeah, don't expect Ion to. As much as I love blue-black control magic decks, uh, uh, yeah. 
I've heard some feedback from my opponents over the years. I see. <laughs> perhaps not the most enjoyable thing to really? be on the receiving really? end of. Not, not so, so much? I mean, yeah, so it's delicate, especially in a minis game. You don't want to totally lock something down. And I think, I don't think we've done anything drastic with these ion weapons. And I think they'll still be, um, they'll still be sort of a meta call and sort of a partial solution to right. your enemy vehicle droid problems at best. Mm -hmm. But they're a much more interesting choice now. Mm -hmm. we, we skipped a little bit over Chewbacca specifically. Can you speak mm. more to the changes to Chewie and, and why 110 wasn't working for him? Yeah, I can speak to that. Um, I think in that case, it was... Um, I think it was uh, overestimating the value of uh, health versus armor save. Um, he seems really strong, uh, really healthy at, um, what is he, nine? Mm -hmm. um, more than Vader, you know, which was like, oh my goodness, the most, you know, highest HP pool of any trooper we've ever done before. Um, but with a, you know, t-shirt armor save, um, turns out, you know, that's not so great. I and mean, we knew it, we knew it wouldn't be, but, you know, it was one of those things where, um, you know, you really start seeing, you know, people, you know, uh, when you test something, you know, we may go through hundreds of play tests, but it gets out in the world and it gets, you know, gets released in the thousands of t games, tests, actually. Um, and he wasn't quite, you know, surviving as long as we you know, sort of hoped he would. And then the other, the other big thing I think too is that um, we knew all along that um, his command cards were, um, you know, you'd be more selective about them uh, because each one targets a different hero character. Um, you may not take all of them; it would depend on who you're taking in your army. But as an operative, you know, it wasn't like um, I mean, he's not your commander. You're not auto taking all three of his cards. Um, but I think we underestimated how much of uh, sort of a, a bit of a hidden tax that is on Chewbacca. Yeah, for sure. And he also... It's still very cool. Yeah, it is It is cool. And so it's tough, too, because um, he pairs well with multiple characters. But then you're looking at a situation where you have... You're too many. Man. You have seven to choose yeah, from exactly. or more. Yeah. Um, and it, it's... Yeah, so he, he's an interesting case. He just needed a little discount. I think he still enables Han really well. He still pairs nicely with um, Luke to keep him more survivable. He pairs nicely with any upcoming heavy hitting uh, rebel unit. It's nice to have that guardian. The guardian is extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that this will help him just see a little bit more play. He can get search tokens. He can get search tokens now, which is mod modestly helpful with the every everyone counts. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I will say one of my favorite playtest list was actually uh, Han, Chewie, and R2 and 3PO. That's uh, great. Because you uh, calculate the odds with C-3PO. Uh, Throw Leia in the mix, you got Endor. Yeah, geez, yeah. Bad. Well, that's kind of a lack of Endor. <laughs> but at least, at least R2 and 3PO and then uh, Han Maybe and a Chewie. grand army. But you, you calculate the odds on Chewbacca or Han, and yep. then they teamwork to the other guy, and uh, you double your, uh, your aim and dodge there. It's pretty good. Good that time. is that is so cool. I'm I'm so ready for those expansions. Um, Han doesn't Han doesn't not a huge fan of having C3PO tell him the odds, but turns out it's actually helpful. Yeah, it's good for him. That's yeah, it suppresses him and triggers low profile <laughs> or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's annoying, That's, but you know what? I'll like kudos to you, Luke. That was a very I think uh, amusing bit of 
game development. Oh no, credit where credit is due. Actually, that one was your idea. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> I like it so yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I we were I, man for a long time. We were flying. Do you remember this? We were flying around with a version of that that was like the janky X-wing one, where it was like, guess how many. Locks, you're gonna roll. Yeah, yeah. Why does it always start? It does seem to always start with that. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) No. So your suggestion was actually like, you know, how about just a dodge in the main, and you get and you get a suppression token. Yeah, it's annoying. Yeah, you don't want to be told that you're in the middle of doing something. Um. So yeah, no, that worked out well. Part of the fun of Star Wars is just injecting that Star Warsness. Oh yeah, the the theme drives so much of what we Mm -hmm. do. I actually I, I love how in the RRG it specifically calls out um, that it is in fact annoying. Just in case you were, <laughs> <laughs> it's, impor- it's important for the people yep. to know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, you wrote that a little bit. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Okay, so given the the grand sweep of the changes, um, we wanted to ask the both of you: Are there any post changes lists? that are most appealing or, or I guess, what are you looking forward to playing in the wake of the changes now? Hmm. That's an interesting question. This has less to do with the points changes and more to do with the introduction of Operative Vader uh, and his new command cards. But I am a fan of silly lists that are hard to win with. So I'm really <laughs> looking forward to uh, Emperor Palpatine, Operative Vader. Mm. I don't think it's top tier, although never say never, but it is really fun and a lot more achievable than Commander Vader. Yeah, I saw some theory crafting on uh, basically uh, Vader and Palpatine sort of slingshotting each other <laughs> across the battlefield via um, Vader's might, uh, pulling the strings and new ways to motivate them. That was pretty yeah generous. yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah the Vader, yeah, that, the Vader Pelt rubber that band one hundred percent works. It, it, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's uh, super strong, but it's very but it's hilarious. <laughs> well, it brings a it brings a whole new meaning to pelt bomb, right? I mean, Vader can literally throw That's him right. into the middle of your enemy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just eat that pelt right in there. That's right. Get him in there, and now you will die. Mm-hmm. Zappa, zappa, zappa. Yep. Uh, by the way, speaking of Pelt, uh, good job there, uh, Kyle. Yeah, congratulations. Taking the the old prune man himself, mm-hmm. that California raisin in a cloak, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. bringing him to victory. Yeah, I mean, uh, well when, you're, when you're California raisin, can shoot lightning out of his fingers. Um, you know, he's pretty good. So. Yeah. Little known fact about the California raisins, <laughs> actually. Actually, it's, it's all why, California it's why, raisins. It's why you haven't seen them around in a while, that, that campaign. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. They all turned to the dark side. <laughs> Pretty much. That's canon now. Yeah, no, it 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 definitely warms my heart to see that that old man winning, uh, winning tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, even Came close in worlds too. Even way back when there was um one league. In, was it? I think it was like the first or maybe the second Invader League. I think there was a pal that um did. Very, I wish I could remember who played it, but yeah, it was. I got into like the top four. Yeah, that was uh, that was Eric Reha, our one. So. Oh, it was. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. And then he took it to Worlds. Yep. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, uh, Pelp Team was, uh, you know, one of the, I mean, I, I worked on uh, Boba Fett and mm-hmm. Han, but those are very much based on some of the original designs, Alex, that you had done when you were working on sort of more characters mm-hmm. at, at once originally. Um, but uh, Pelp Team was like kind of the first Easy unit. Yeah, yeah. The first... The first character I designed, and uh, really, I mean, 
if you know your sort of like magic player type breakdown, definitely just went full bore Timmy on that <laughs> one. Just, you know, balls of the wall, crazy, you know, uh, but uh, you just theme, all theme all the way through. And uh, it's awesome that he turned out as uh, balanced and competitive and interesting as he did. Really yeah, I think, I think that's a, a equal parts kind of testament to Luke's design. And also just we nudged him into a sweet spot. We just kind of got lucky in that respect. And I feel like he's right where you want him to be. He's a high skill cap character. He can win games and indeed major tournaments, but you are always kind of on the knife's edge with him. And he's so costly that if he is not winning, he's kind of losing. Mm-hmm. And that sort of befits not only that playstyle, but also the emperor as a character. Like he's either going to yeah. win completely or he's going to get hucked down a reactor shaft while so his Death Star blows up. So that over- and that's kind of like how hey, it works. Look, there's an game. example yeah. of uh, Vader eating Pelf right there. There you <laughs> go. That's there right. you go. Vader's much. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so it's always nice when that, that all sort of coincides like that. And he's just fun to play and see play um, because he is so potent yet fragile. Every game yeah. with him is a wild ride. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't, I've never had a boring cop game. <laughs> And that's kind of what we hope for in everything we do, but I think it's particularly profound when it's someone like Palpatine. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you talked a little bit there about Vader's might and Operative Vader. Um, so could we talk a little bit about Operative Luke and Operative Vader? They're clearly the um, first two characters in the game that we've had duplicate characters for. Um what how did the genesis of you know creating these two new units um for for legion kind of um come to be yeah i can i can start a little bit and i think you want to talk about design alex but um the initial concept was um you know so we have a a relationship with lfl obviously you know they own star wars we make star wars stuff and um they uh approached us and we're like hey you know, uh, we're sort of have an initiative to do more original trilogy um, content. You know, we'd like you to do some. And we're like, oh, cool. We're designing a new factions <laughs> for the prequels right now. Um, but we're like, okay, we can do it. And um, I think uh, even though, Alex, you tackled the design of these guys and did a very excellent job, I think there was initial, like, well, what do we even do to make these interesting? Um, and... Um, I had the idea of just, well, what if they're operatives? Mm-hmm. And then from there, I, I think it's sort of, um, that just sort of drove the design process because it's like, oh, well then, Luke is, you know, Jedi Knight Luke and Vader's uh, like, you know, Jedi Hunter Vader, you know? Yeah, we we had always intended to eventually do multiple versions of important characters. That's why you have subtitles. Yeah, that's why, that's <laughs> literally, it's, it's funny when, when, you've worked on games for a long time, which I guess at this point I have, you have, uh, you kind of learn to give yourself wiggle room mm-hmm. all over the place. Like you mm-hmm. learn lessons from everything you do. Future proofing. And exactly. And, and in X-Wing, we wanted to do different versions of the same character. We had no way to really signify that right. at all. To so, meaningfully differentiate. Yeah. So that was an issue. And so from the start, we knew we wanted to do multiple versions. And I was pretty sure that from the start, I also wanted to do um, a command hand that allowed you to draw from all of that character's command cards, whether or not they were um, 
you know, from that particular expansion or not, just because I think command hand building is a really interesting part of the game. So we ended up doing Luke and Vader maybe a little bit sooner than we anticipated, but I think it's appropriate. I actually really like the way that the schedule worked out, how that, that release is sort of paired with the uh, Clone Wars release, because those two operative packs alone really open up a lot of doors for Rebel and Imperial players, and they're going to inject new life into those factions at the same time that these new factions are coming out. So it's one of those things where you have brand new factions that are going to be really exciting for some players, and you have new units and points changes and various other things that are going to be really exciting for existing players. Because the goal is to get everybody in the Legion community super, super hyped mm-hmm. for Turbo everything hyped. so hyped um, <laughs> for everything that is coming out. And I think that um, Luke and Vader are the thematic, emotional, iconic anchor of the entire core trilogy. They're the most important characters in the saga. It's really focused on their journey. Um, and I think having that reflected in the game is very, very cool. Um, and they don't have any lack of sweet abilities and cool scenes and as comics and TV shows and all kinds of things have come out. They've just, you know, generated more interesting content for those characters. So it was exciting to be able to kind of go back in, tune them up with the advantage of about a year's worth of competitive play. Um, figure out what would make them more interesting, what they kind of needed in terms of making them viable. Luke was doing just fine, but Vader had trouble closing the distance. And so sort of that whole synthesis, I think, resulted in a really interesting couple of products that I'm really excited about. Um, Do you want to talk just like mechanically on the table about your approach to um, Vader and then Luke? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I knew that... Vader had a commander Vader had a few issues. Um, the first, first and foremost, uh, just cost. He was very expensive. Um, and secondly, just speed, slow, hard to get there. No, uh, hugely powerful ranged weapon like Palpatine has in order to, um, allow him to be more efficacious, no ability to command friendly troops and kind of have an effect from turn one. So, you know, the first order of business was just who are these characters? I mean, they're operative versions of Luke and Vader, but what does that mean? Luke, it was pretty easy. Jedi Knight Luke, he's, that's the sort of most um, monastic path that he walks. He kind of distances himself from the Rebel Alliance a little bit. He goes on this sort of personal confrontation. You know, he's not leading the army anymore. That's Han and Leia. They're the ones who are down on the ground getting it done and Lando's up you know, leading the the fleet. So he's kind of off on his own. So that's perfect for Operative Luke. In terms of Vader, we really kind of wanted to explore that space between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy, where he is just sort of hunting down rogue Jedi. He's on his own. He's a newly forged instrument of the Emperor, but he hasn't really claimed command powers. He kind of, over the course of New Hope and Empire Strikes Back is where he sort of takes over the military and becomes that commanding figure. So yeah, there was the some path of Grand, Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, exactly. So there's some really cool space in there where he's more of you know just like the more fist. of a blunt instrument. Yeah, exactly. And so that allowed us to do a cheaper character that's not a commander that is still sort of 
finding his, you know, way in this new robotic body. He's not necessarily mastered what effect that has had on him yet, but you can see the beginning there of the sort of legend that's going to grow into Vader. So those from a thematic standpoint were really fun to sort of sink our teeth into. And so of course we started looking at the material surrounding those eras. And so Star Wars yeah, Rebels we, we, is a younger yeah. Vader. Uh, and that's where the darkness descends piece came. And that just sort of came into my brain after I saw that episode. I was like, what a cool command card that would be just mm -hmm. Vader descending from the sky in full drama queen mode, <laughs> you know, standing on his TIE fighter just mm -hmm. to look cool. Yep. And I, that sort of came to my mind as a very, very kind of wholly made as a game effect. And I was like, if we can replicate that on the tabletop, that's just going to be fun. Mm -hmm. That's striking. That's going to solve a mechanical problem that he has in terms of getting up where he needs to be. It's going to retroactively buff Commander Vader. It was just sort of this, um, you know, perfect synthesis of inspiration and, you know, an idea that sort of concretely solved an issue as well as being directly pulled from that source material. So it's nice when that happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then, uh, too, of course, you know, we're not above a little bit of fan service. And we know that people who are, you know, Darth Vader fanboys mm -hmm. are a big fan of the Vader Down comic. So yep. we had to work in a uh, Fear it. and Dead Men in there, too. You got to so. do it. You got to do it. And it fits his design style, too. I mean, like, he has a getting very, close. Yeah. yeah, all of his effects work up close. Yeah. Like, that's where he excels. Master of Evil, uh, Fear and Dead Men, um, Saber Throw, Force Push, all that stuff has a greater effect when he's in the mix. So one of the things that he needs to do when he gets in there is survive a little bit longer. <laughs> <Is live>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's always frustrating when your Vader just gets blasted down. Yeah. And the nice thing about Fear and Dead Men is it's kind of that double-edged, you know, lightsaber um, <laughs> in that, yes, if you roll blanks, uh, you're doing damage, but you're also taking wounds. But there's no bad results mm -hmm. when you're using deflect if you had Fear and Dead Men. So you, you still take damage on blanks, but, you know. Yeah, but, but you, yeah, exactly. It's, it's pros and cons. And I think that's very dark side. We've kind of leaned into that quite a bit already, taking mm -hmm. wounds to achieve things. Do you want to talk about Luke a little bit mechanically? Yeah, Luke, we just wanted to make, you know, the sort of pinnacle of his training. This is post-Empire Strikes Back. He's suffered a defeat. He's he's sort of re-embarked on this quest to become a Jedi, and he's mm -hmm. finally mastered his skills. He's built his own lightsaber. His tone is so different. Too. Yeah, and he's he's very he's a very different person uh, between those movies. And I think that's one of the most interesting and kind of striking things about Return of the Jedi. When Luke shows up, he's this very different presence he's much more like obi-wan he's much more uh focused and and calm and meditative and no he's not this sense yeah that's right that's right <laughs> he's not this emotional you know young man who's trying to figure out what his place in the galaxy is he's sort of like this is what i'm gonna do um i'm a jedi etc mm -hmm. and so we wanted to play into that we wanted to just produce a character that had a higher power level. And so Master of the Force was an option. And so he got Master of the Force. He got better dice with his new lightsaber. He's a more, you know... Um, he crazy dice. He does roll crazy dice. The most that any character's and, and, ever rolled. Yeah, and throughout development, we knew that he was going to have access to his original command cards as well. So yeah. that means Son of Skywalker. That means, you know... Epic. Right, so that was interesting. Mm -hmm. I know... Um, but Which is great, which is another synergistic thing because... In Return of the Jedi, when he confronts Vader, he just he goes absolutely ham. 
And that was the inspiration for the Sun and Skywalker Sun Skywalker in the first place. We'd already done it. Yeah. And and so him having an even nastier attack is kind of uh kind of the the pinnacle of that that card, I guess. But we also wanted to play into his more nuanced abilities. His yeah, it's interesting how non-aggression. Yeah, operative Luke's cards uh, are not focused on attacking. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess you can use you save your master well to make something attack. You can, but, but it's not focused on Luke himself necessarily attacking, and that's especially true of um, his three pip um, mm-hmm. kind of Jedi. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, these are the more subtle skills of you know someone who's mastered the light side of the Force, uh, someone who has a little more subtlety. Someone whose first instinct is to try to resolve things peacefully, diplomatically. Um, someone who's willing to die rather than fall. Uh, and I think that's very hard to get across in gameplay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because this is this is a battle game. This yeah. is a war game. It's hard to design. Yeah, I know. But we played around with a lot of stuff. Luke's cards were one of the They were the harder than Vader's. They were a lot harder than yeah but, and i think i i supplied some rough ideas mm-hmm. of like well this is a cool scene how could this be a yeah card? how do we translate that so yeah. they're very interesting yeah but they are a little subtler well and just to speak to just pure design to mechanics i should say just pure mechanics um you know like i said master of the forest was an obvious mm-hmm. and then from there i know you were looking for well like that's kind of boring if that's that and you know some tweaks to how many dice he's rolling what his mm-hmm. courage is what his health is is not really all that exciting and so um, I don't know who it was who had the idea, but I know at some point someone was like, well, you know, it's master or uh, force push is so good because of how it can help you leave combat. Mm-hmm. And man, you know, that's one of Luke's moves right in the middle of fighting Darth Vader. Yeah, he's just like, like, you know, peace <laughs> out. I'm standing on this bridge now. I'm done yep. fighting you. Yep. You know, too bad, dad. <laughs> so uh, and that was a very easy like, oh, that could just be a keyword. You can just leave comments. Yeah, and, and that's obviously very useful for a melee character like that to be able to, yeah. to have more control. And it turns out it ended up being very useful for having uh, some other characters' cards work. Like, for yeah. example, Grievous's. If Grievous didn't have Disengage on his one pip, it'd be a lot less good. You wouldn't be able to reposition into a new, a new melee with it. Yep, exactly. So in terms of Luke's command cards, we just wanted to give him a different feel and a different play style. So right. Because would, if we just made just another one that was good at attacking, right. I'd be like, well, now I've got this and you know some spellwork. Or maybe I, now I'm choosing between two attack ones, I take one over the other. Yeah, yeah so we want him to be something different. Um, Luke's one pip, Serve Your Master Well, is I think certainly one of the most amusing <laughs> and potentially open-ended command cards that I've seen. Yeah, Alex um, was very creative with these these <laughs> new command cards. Vader's well, Might also has yeah, a that lot one of potential. Fun. For, there's a reason it says non-heavy. Oh, I know. So <laughs> you wanted it to be heavy so bad. Well, I commissioned like, I commission you. We always commission the art piece after the like concept and vision stage where we've gotten everything approved, but we haven't actually necessarily locked in any abilities or started playtesting. Right. But we have an idea. We have an idea of what we want at that point. And there's a scene in Rebels where he lifts the ATDP mm-hmm. like over his head. Just like, yeah. I mean, he they, they think that they've crushed him beneath this massive vehicle and he's just like, nope. Turns out crushing Vader, Vader. vehicles doesn't work. <laughs> and then, you know, he's, he's uh, revealed as this really terrifying presence and and i thought wow that's super cool i'm just gonna i'm gonna 
get an art piece of that scene. Yeah. And he's going to be able to move anything. And then we put it on the table. We did some play testing and Huck and Occupy our tanks around was a little bit too much. So <laughs> yeah. we put that non-heavy put the restriction on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, future heavy vehicles and what have you. Um, but it's still a super cool card. And it, it mostly stayed intact through play testing to mm-hmm. its original design. But it's sort of, it's funny when that kind of thing happens. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about any of the uh, amusing ways that you've thought of to use Luke's one pip survey master. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's, they're kind of endless. Um, obviously, it can be your rebel pulling the strings for a turn. That's just a solid ability. We've seen that on Palpatine, very very strong. Um, but it's it's pretty funny to troll people with it, um, especially enemies. It pairs really <laughs> nicely with. Jedi mind trick, obviously. Um, yeah, that's a fun one. How Jedi, <laughs> the, the stock, if you will, if you've been investing in Jedi yeah. mind trick, uh, it keeps going up. Yeah, with, uh, yeah it's with a stock to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you could do all kinds of stuff from like making the Emperor's Royal Guards attack him yep. <laughs> uh, to, you know, like leaving a unit high and dry on its, you know, last, mm-hmm. one of the, fla- the last activations that it has and um, making it go and hang out in the open and, and get blown away or, mm-hmm. or yeah, there's a lot of different funny things that you can do. And I'm sure we'll start seeing some really amusing um, anecdote trickle in from the community of like, Oh, I, I did it to do this. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that should be fun. Just tell so, people to embark on a vehicle right before you blow it up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of dumb things you can do with this. <laughs> so, so Luke can mess with heavies, but Vader can't. Uh, <laughs> I see how it is. Um, so clearly the decision to make um, these command cards kind of cross across both versions of these characters is like a... It's like a pretty big deal. Um, mm-hmm. I think maybe more in terms of Vader. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about landing on that before. Um, what were the reasons that you kind of really wanted that to happen? A and B, do you think that this sort of treatment is going to be something that we see kind of rarely in the game? Like we're only going to see it on like Luke and Vader-esque characters or are we going to see this on, you know, the, you know, the Jin Ursos of the world? Uh, yeah, I think, um, so to answer the first part there, uh, the reason that, you know, we were pretty pretty decidedly going to allow, you know, the command cards to be used by any character is because that's cooler than it not. <laughs> <laughs> it's more fun if they can than if they can't. Um, and, I mean, frankly, I, I don't, I think, Alex, we're on the same page that, like, we're totally fine with the core iconic characters being as cool as they can. You yeah, know, if that sure. means a bigger pool of command cards, um, great. And then to your second question, um, I think it is something we're going to do infrequently. Um, so first off, Luke and Vader, I can assure you, are, are not going to be the only characters that get a second version of them. Oh, by no means. Um, however, our list of characters that are still not in the game that we want to do is so long Mm -hmm. uh and there's so many cool things you know characters we want to see um that 
just by the sheer nature of that, uh, new versions of characters we've already seen are going to be very infrequent. Well, yeah, and I think we can be strategic about it too. I mean, um, we are heavily involved in, uh, not in charge of, but certainly have have a large influence on the release schedule, what comes when we talk about it in depth with uh, you know everybody involved in that process. We have a long meeting to, to iron that out. And I mean, a lot that, of it is a, a lot of Andrew Navarro. You know, oh, yeah, has a lot of great ideas, and absolutely, and, yeah. and and like long term visions for the game line. But yeah. like within that structure, um, we can do things like look at the state of the game and see something like, oh, you know, Chewbacca's command cards are really limited. Wouldn't it be neat to get you know, another version of him that makes him more flexible. Right, hypothetically. So hypothetically, we would prioritize a new Chewbacca over certainly like a third Vader or whatever. Right, yeah. Um, and then it depends on, you know, what ramifications these characters have, you know. Mm-hmm. Do these characters have dramatically different personas, outfits, um, roles? Uh, I mean... Leia, uh, you know, in bounty yeah. hunter gear would be a really cool. I think Vader on her or what have you. So yeah. it, it, it's a lot of different factors. Um, Luke and Vader are just such core characters. We definitely decided to hit them first. And the other thing is, it's just like having the knowledge that these command pool cards are going to be added to an existing pool means that we can be more interesting with them. You know, the original run of Luke and Vader command cards are all very generally useful and they sort of run the gamut of different abilities. But when you get into their second batch of cards, you can be much more weirdly specific about it. You can do something like Darkness Descends, knowing that he has plenty of meat and potatoes command cards to use uh, if you're not doing that strategy. So it lets you be more creative. Yeah, and I think I was just going to say Vader... Uh, Operative Vader definitely toes the line of what we would like consider a new version of a character, and I think yeah, well, he doesn't really... look that different. No, but but, but we he... sure got a cool pose. <laughs> we did in Operative Vader, and you know he's not physically terribly different. His costume changes are minor, but in terms of his emotional journey and his character arc, he's in a very different place. Sure, at that point, it's subtle, but it is definitely interesting to kind of riff on well this is immediately you know immediately post duel with obi-wan vader how is he coping with this what does that look like right i think in most cases where we if we see this in the future um when we see um other versions of existing characters it'll be when um you know there's a pretty obvious um second version of that character or evolution of that character Mm -hmm. or sort of pre- pre-version of that character that, you know, justifies um, having different abilities and, and, you know, different presence on the battlefield. Awesome. Um, I think, I think we want to wrap this up with the most most boring. What else, any, what other hot burning questions (laughs) uh, you have? Was, was there something about uh, the, uh, the size of, a uh, of a womp rat, or was it a oh, a, a, a reactor? That was the board? beginning of the end for me. <laughs> <laughs> <That question. laughs> yeah, Alex, what's how big is the, the you, exhaust port on the Death Star? Got, it's about the size of a womp rat. You got, I don't, what you do you got want? Dragon snake. I was <laughs> really impressed. It's two meters. It's two meters. Now I know. I was really impressed with the dragon. Well, that was simple math. 
Mm. Oh, I That's see. That's just arithmetic. <laughs> oh. Just yeah, simpleton. Four, four. A simpleton <laughs> could have gotten that question right. Uh, yeah. You know, okay. the interesting with the answer to those both of those questions is the same, right? Yeah, actually two? it is too. You could have just answered the oh, same. Oh shoot. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's the secret. Yeah. I do know this. Whenever whenever there if I was ever asked to guess a Star Wars weapon name, mm. I would just throw a Z6 in there. There's so many Zs. There's a lot of weapons with Z, and there's at least two with Z6 in them. You've got the Z74 scooter bikes. Yep. You've got the Z6 blaster. You've got the Z... Is it the Z6 jetpack right Yeah. Now? Is that also just Better Z6? Well, the old the old cutaway book, yes, it was the oh, I think that's still what it's is called. It still? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Someone just likes that combination of letter and number, and it's, it's a go-to. Yeah. Well, they're 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 kind of all alphanumeric soup, True. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Throw a bunch, throw a bunch of letters together. Particularly to, to enjoy the CM zero slash nine three, or is it an O O slash nine? It's an O. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. CMO ninety three. <laughs> I think it's I think it's the CM slash zero dash ninety three. Ooh, I have a pop quiz question for you guys, real quick. Okay. Give me the full name of the occupier. No cheating, right now. Uh, hmm. it, the Gav. <laughs> I'm tapping out. <laughs> occupier assault tank. Wait, wait, what did you start with? Gav dash two two five. Ooh. Close. I think I there's an X in there. There's it's the the TX <laughs> TX two two five G A V W occupier combat assault. <laughs> Nailed it. Well done. So, it's like you work on this game or something. I know. Yeah, yeah it is like I got to look. I have to look up a lot of Star Wars stuff, guys. <laughs> so, how much liberty do you guys have as far as like naming things go? Are you pretty much like if if you're like we're gonna make this tank, it gets that exact name or like if it one? exists, we give it the canonical name. Um, if it is ambiguous, we ask LFL and very, very, very rarely they're like, why don't you go ahead and just say it doesn't have a name. Yeah. It doesn't have a name. And so our first thing is, well, what do you want to call it? And then sometimes very rarely they're like, well, something in this ballpark or, you know, every so one, every once in a while we get to just kind of extrapolate on something. I think we found a snow trooper flamethrower guy on the cover of like an obscure young adult novel mm-hmm. and it yep. was like is that a snow trooper with a flamethrower and we're mm-hmm. like yeah we can use that <laughs> that's yeah theoretically it's justified <laughs> yeah so it really depends yeah, yeah. it really depends yeah so no it's it's, yeah. it's interesting when you dig through uh yeah when you really dig through star wars trivia that you find there's just things that have never been named so yeah i mm-hmm. know the the cm-093 uh did not have a name even though that's in the movie so we named that Right, Wait, so you right. guys came up with that amalgamation of a name? Uh, we did. We did. And then we also, uh, yes, you have a the t-shirt. For that. Uh, yeah, the t-shirt. They can. wouldn't let me name them these things. No. So. Uh, <laughs> what else did we name? We named the um, mortar uh, that the short troopers have. Um, although we did make, we, we concepted that ourselves. So obviously that didn't exist already. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we get to play around in the edges of things mm-hmm. and with a lot of you know, good conversations with, with the licensor. Um, their chief concern is just that it fits in with everything yeah, else. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So generally speaking, we we'll try talk to, to story groups sometimes. Yeah. And I mean, it's Star Wars. So there's, you know, a, 
innumerable like action figures, stat books, yeah. old West End games, mm-hmm. uh, cutaways, whatever. So well, and that's why there's these a things, huge amount of stuff. To yeah, that's from. why these things get named. And and if it just has not ever happened to appear in one mm-hmm. of those, even though it's in the film, it just doesn't have a name yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm still waiting, by the way, for someone to update Wikipedia with the CM-093. <laughs> Get on that. Yeah. You listeners Hold up, out I'll there. do it right now. <laughs> there you go. It is, I will say, it is weird going on Wikipedia and seeing art from Legion. Art that I wrote the description of. That is strange. Some artist yeah. drew yeah. And seeing it. Well, it's, but the more obscure the thing, the more likely that that's going to happen. But also, also not. Like You just go on like <laughs> Sabine Wren or... or Chewbacca, it's and there's art. We have a game. baller art department. That's true. Our art is the shit. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's getting even better. Like every yeah, single. It, it really, it really is. Like the yeah. sculpts, the sculpts too. Like it's, it's just really thrilling to be working on a game with such amazing support. Like graphic design, clutch, art looks beautiful. Sculpts are awesome. It's mm-hmm. really just a nice, nice thing to to be steering a ship that has such an awesome crew. Yeah, well, and the, our sculpting manager, Derek Fuchs, is just so concentrated on mm-hmm. improving. Mm-hmm. You know, every wave, something improves. Yeah, I think that the, the I mean, even the jump from the original corset to the new corset is incredible. And, and things are just, like, every day I see something that's even cooler. <laughs> and that's really fun. It's fun mm-hmm. to come into work and be like, what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't suppose you want to you want to tease us with anything. <laughs> uh, Have we see. not teased anything yet? Jeez. I don't know. I see. I what feel like we? lately <laughs> we just I'm, dumped so much. I know. I'm wary of stealing uh, <laughs> marketing thunder on uh, a lot of these things. Uh, but um, I'll look for I'll look for a couple of new droids. How's I that for a hint? Yeah. I mean, I actually don't know when that article is coming out. I don't either. It should be soon. But yeah, no, I'm really excited for R two D two and Seeker. Yeah. I mean, the uh, look for a couple of other droids. Oh, mm. other droids. Soon enough. Oh, oh yeah. It's you all, are, that's you all, are. I'll say no more. You are being. I'll coy. say no more. Yeah. <laughs> cheeky, cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, awesome. So, uh, thank you guys for coming on. Oh we yeah, really it was our pleasure. It. Uh, definitely. Uh, I, I think it, appreciate the opportunity to talk some about you know our philosophy on the points and. Yeah, thanks for having us. Why we're we're doing what we're doing, you know. I think you know it's a your your the podcast, Notorious Scoundrels. I think is a good place for that sort of discussion, you know. And then we can just do goofy trivia on Fifth Trooper. Yeah, (laughs) you gotta have a niche, right? Yeah, I I do think that we've got a clip (laughs) that uh, Alex had a quote some some at some point today where he pretty much yelled, "I am Darth Vader." Uh, That's (laughs) that's getting clipped. Okay. okay good that's what we want i don't, I don't know what we're gonna do with it yet but it's getting clipped excellent, excellent. <laughs> it'll get turned into a drop we got to add more drops on the chase soundboard you know yeah, right. there you go. true story nice well, awesome thank, yeah thank you guys so much um and uh, it's you know we're all super excited i'm sure you've seen the buzz around the community just mm-hmm. with the course that and this points rebalance and everything it's a great time to be playing the game so awesome that's great to hear yeah, yeah we're psyched too it's gonna be a hell of a year for legion yeah very much so so with that um this has been the notorious scoundrels podcast i'm mike i'm kyle david had to run he did <laughs> I was like, where's David? <laughs> hey, where's David? He disappeared. I'm Alex. <laughs> and I'm Luke. <laughs>
Stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs> Join us next week for another episode of The Notorious Scoundrels. This has been a Fifth Trooper production. <laughs>